all of a sudden, I noticed this extraordinary light above the end of my bed, just hovering there up in the air. It was just breathtaking. But there was life to this light. It actually was alive. It was a being of light and it pulsated. It stood still in the air, but it moved in a clockwise direction and it throbbed, it pulsated. And every time it pulsated, I felt just the most extraordinary magnetism coming out of it, like this energy, this power. And it entered me through my heart. Welcome to the Spirit Sisters podcast. My name is Karina Machado, and I'm the author of Spirit Sisters, Women's True Stories of the Paranormal. In this podcast, I'll revisit the women behind my most unforgettable stories and unearth new tales to chill, intrigue, astound and offer hope. You'll hear first-hand accounts of ghostly visitors, near-death experiences, premonitions, hauntings and love more powerful than death. Whatever you believe about the afterlife, I invite you to open your minds and hearts as ordinary women reveal their extraordinary encounters. listening to Spirit Sisters the podcast. I'm your host Karina Machado and it's wonderful to be with you today. Hope you enjoyed my bonus mini-series on haunted houses that went live for Halloween but now we're back to regular programming so to speak. Not that there's anything regular about the story you're about to hear. Today my guest is Linda Cull who lives in Perth in Western Australia. Linda is a visionary artist and the author of the memoir Where the Light Lives, a true story about death grief and transformation. She's also just released a poetry collection called When Eve Walked. Linda is the founder of Willara Press and the blog Spirit My Way, where she covers spirituality, inspired creativity and transformative experiences at lindacull.com. Now throughout her 20s and 30s, Linda experienced spiritual reality many times. She encountered God, angels, spirit beings, late loved ones and religious figures and experienced many remarkable states of consciousness that culminated in profound healing and transformation of her life. Talking with Linda, I was in awe of her absolutely amazing experiences, which shared traits in common with the near-death experience. I know you're going to draw so much from this episode, the first of a two-part interview. Quick note, Linda's story includes mention of suicidal thoughts, So if you need support, please contact Lifeline in Australia on 13 11 14. Enjoy my conversation with the wonderful, and I mean that in the truest sense, Linda Cull. Hello, Linda. It's so wonderful to have you on the show. Hello, Karina. It's wonderful to be here. Thank you. Well, we've just been chatting a lot, even prior to beginning (laughs) to press record, but um, we better get into the official part. Now, you have just released a stunning book of poetry called When Eve Walked. Now, we're going to delve into that in due course, but before we get to that, I'd like you to take us, the audience, me and the audience, back in time because you have got a captivating story. 
which you tell in your 2016 memoir, Where the Light Lives, which describes your spiritual awakening and how it led to you becoming a visionary artist and other, it had lots of other effects. Now, it begins with um, you telling your family history, Linda, your parents emigrated from Croatia and you grew up with an awareness of your ancestors' trauma. Now, please tell us about your childhood and your early awareness of a spiritual dimension. Well, I grew up about 15 minutes from Perth in the suburbs and I'm the youngest of two daughters. My sister Mary is six years older than me and we grew up in a very vibrant household. It was very active. There were always people visiting and um, we were always visiting other people. The street was just full of kids. There was so much happiness and um, I spent a lot of time playing and exploring and all those things. My parents were um, both very, very hardworking and um, they worked a lot either outside of the home or in the home. And we had, very, we had very big emotions in the house. There was big joy or big anger or, you know, all that. It was, everything was shared and expressed. Nothing was kind of held back. So whatever my parents were going through, it was shared with us. And I guess being immigrants and going through, you know, all the changes that came with that caused tension in the house as well and tension between my parents and all that was felt as well. So it was a very... It was a very loving household, um, very big emotions. And so I was always um, dealing with that. And, and I had a sense of, I guess, anxiety underlying everything. My, um, my father was a child during World War II and he experienced um, really terrible trauma. His, he was present for his father and brother's executions. Yeah, terrible, terrible stuff. Um, he lived through war for a number of years. He was only about seven, eight, around that age. Spent years like living in caves and, and in, in a state of terrible fear. My mum was born after the war, but she kind of grew up in all that kind of talk and the memory of, of what had happened and the mm -hmm. trauma of that. So um, all that was kind of shared in the household. My mum's a very good um, oral storyteller. Mm -hmm. So she would share her early life with us and, and also what happened to the family. So I guess that all kind of um, becomes a part of your identity as a child. Yes. And you're trying to understand it, deal with it. I was raised in a Catholic household. So my, my mother was Catholic and my father was too. My mum went to church. My father didn't like church. My father didn't like priests because they um, behaved badly in his homeland during the war and so he never trusted them. Mm -hmm. um, my mum, however, she was, you know, pretty, pretty into the whole church thing. We went every Sunday. So I grew up with that kind of religious theme in my life. But my parents are probably lapsed Catholics rather than, you know, full-on Catholics. That's more the tradition of it. So yeah, that was my that was my childhood. We spent every Sunday going to the Croatian club. Um, <laughs> We've got one of those in Sydney. <laughs> yeah, so it was like you know we had this very very wonderful tight knit community around us. And I got a sense from reading your memoir that you had this awareness of even aside from the religion of a spiritual dimension and a fascination for it. And there's that wonderful story you tell from when you're five years old and you discover the photo of your grandma in her casket and that yes. had been mailed from Croatia. And 
you were fascinated, weren't you, Linda, with this photo? I was. I was fascinated by death. Yeah. Um, I think because I'd heard about death so early in my life and that my family members had died and died in a horrible way, I always kind of wondered what happened to them. And then um, my my father was very close to his mother. She died when I was around five and there were these photos that arrived from Croatia and one day I saw him sitting on his bed looking at the photos and he was crying um, and there were photos of the funeral. And when dad wasn't in the room, I snuck in and went through his drawer and found those photos and found a picture of my dead grandmother in, in the you know casket. And it fascinated me. I, I often went back and had a look at that photo. It fascinated me. Death did. Where, where did she go? And then when I was seven, my father actually had open heart surgery and he died on the operating table. His, his heart flatlined for about two minutes. Um, he came back. <laughs> they saved his life. But it was a very, you know, traumatic experience for the whole family. And for him, it kind of changed things because he became vulnerable after that in, in my eyes as well. Um, and his health became uh, an issue in our family until he, you know, died just three years ago. He actually had um, Marfan syndrome. Yes, that's and, quite, quite a yeah, rare syndrome, isn't it? It is. It's a connective tissue disorder and it affects, well, you, your body is made up of connective tissue. It's like the glue that holds everything together in your body. Mm. So if that's affected, it's like your body's stuck together with clag glue rather than super glue. Right. And so it affects everything. But the, the danger is the aorta splitting. It, and it affects the heart valves. So when I was seven, his heart valve needed to be changed and that's what happened. Right. And then when he was much older, his aorta did split. And speaking of serious health conditions, you yourself, Linda, mm. you mm. were um, diagnosed with a very serious spinal condition when you were only 14 years old. Now, I know from reading the book exactly what this meant to you and the consequences that it had. But please tell us about the diagnosis and, and how it affected your life. Well, at 14, I was diagnosed with scoliosis. At the time, I was told it was idiopathic, which means they didn't, they didn't know why it had come about. So I went to the GP with cold or flu and she put the stethoscope on my back, lifted up my top and she just went, oh, you've got scoliosis. I didn't know what that meant. I remembered about six months earlier at school doing the whole testing thing, you know, in your bathers, you went in the gym and you'd bend forward and they they checked for that and I was fine. So within the space of six months, I developed a very serious scoliosis. And for those people who don't know what scoliosis it is, it's the curvature of the spine, but my spine was very curved. So it's like a big S shape with a, with a twist and it causes disfigurement. Um, the next two years I, I went through lots of doctor's hands and I actually found that more traumatic than anything because I was, you know, I was going through puberty. I had a lot of men touching and looking at my body and making assessments of my body. It was really difficult. They thought I had Marfan syndrome, like my father, because it affects your skeletal system as well. And so I had all the testing for Marfan's. And at the end of it, I was told that I didn't have it 
and that was it. It was like, see you later. Mm. I still had this disfigurement and, and I was in pain and all the rest, but um, that was it. I didn't get any other help and my parents kind of dealt with it the best they, they could. They didn't really understand it, you know, like a doctor would, and they didn't really know how to help me. But I kind of grew an anger towards them, the doctors, God, mm. because I just felt, to be quite honest, I felt like a monster. I felt really ugly and felt dirty and I felt like something was really wrong with me. So Children at school were quite brutal too. Yeah. Well, I was six foot at 14. Wow. And by the, by the time I was 16, I'd stopped growing, but I was six foot two. And I was very thin. And I know that lots of people like the idea of being thin, but when you're really thin and very tall, all I wanted to do was put some weight on and kind of blend in. But I always really stuck out. There was no blending in. And, yeah, the first three years of high school, I used to get bullied every day at school about my appearance. And it was really hard. I found it it was such a hard time those first three years. And then by 16, 17... That had stopped, but it had really affected my self-esteem. But also at 16, funnily enough, um, it wasn't until then that I actually understood what the scoliosis meant because I had a bath one day and I was lying down in the bath and I could feel an unevenness to my back and I was thinking, why can't I lie flat on the bath? And I got up and had a look in the mirror and it was only then that I saw that I was deformed. I had this disfigurement and I had just a terrible time with it. I just um, just couldn't believe it. And I, I really um, I grieved my body and I, and I really wondered how I would ever find somebody who would love me, you know, like, because I really wanted to be a, a wife. I really wanted to have children. I just wondered how, how would I ever attract a man with this kind of body? Mm. So I became very, um, very, uh, I spent a lot of time in my own mind grieving and and feeling angry and why why me and interestingly that was sort of the predecessor to the first spiritual experiences that you began yes so you were 16 and you began to have out-of-body experiences is that right yes yeah yes about that yes well all of this because I became so introverted at the same time, you know, I was functioning pretty well on an everyday level. I had friends. I was doing really well at school, all that kind of stuff. But in my own time, I was very depressed. And so I spent a lot of time thinking about things at a deep level. And at, around that time, I um, was going through a confirmation in the Catholic Church. And I was thinking about religion. I was thinking about all those, those bigger questions. Um, so I would talk to God a lot and I think it came out of that. I used to pray a lot and cry a lot and one of those things. And the day that I had my first spiritual experience was actually a beautiful day and I felt great. So it was during that year where I actually felt a lot of tension. However, the day it happened, I felt wonderful. I was at home. It was a Sunday afternoon and, um, I was doing my art and my mum had an office in the backyard, which was separate to the house. It was quiet and peaceful. And I was really deep in my art, which, you know, is a real kind of meditative, you know, practice. I could hear my name being called, literally. Like, I could actually hear it, like somebody was calling it. So, Linda, Linda. 
And this went for about 20 minutes or so. At first, I, I just totally thought it was my mother. It was Sunday. She always did laundry on Sunday. I thought she wanted me to do something terrible like, you know, fold the socks and undies or something. <laughs> so um, I just ignored her and it went like that. I kept hearing my name being called and eventually I called out, what do you want? What do you want? And mum came to the back door. She said, what do you want? And I was like, what do you want? And she goes, I'm not, I don't need you. I'm like, what are you calling me for? And she's like, I'm not calling you. Nobody's calling you. I'm like, oh, okay. And she went back in the house and I went back to my art. And again, I could hear the calling of my name. It was so bizarre. So then I went and explored this and I went outside and I thought, who's calling me? My dad wasn't home. My sister wasn't home. And I looked over the fence, looked down the side of the house, nobody anywhere. Went back into the room. I was doing my art, could still hear the calling. Then I really, I had the realisation that the voice that I was hearing was actually in the room with me. Mm. and then I could hear it was right next to me and then I really got it that it was something spiritual it was invisible <laughs> and I could hear something you know so whether it was God or a spirit or or whatever I was terrified I grabbed all my thin belongings and I went racing out that room <laughs> and inside and I didn't know why you know it was really just shocking to me it was. I've so never it sounded, experienced anything like it. And it sounded like an audible voice in the room? Yes. Wow. Yes. Yeah. And I can't, it didn't sound male or female. It just sounded neutral, but it sounded friendly. It wasn't like a sinister voice or anything. And it really did wake me up. It was like, that was definitely, I, I know I experienced that. And I know I heard that. And I know that was spiritual. God, so it was my that. wake up call. Talk about being called. You were literally called. I was literally called. Yeah. And then a few months after that, I had my first out-of-body experience. So tell us about um, one of those. Again, I didn't know what was going on. So this, you know, when all these things start happening, it's really quite scary when you don't know what's going on. So again, I went to bed. I went to bed late, about one o'clock in the morning. I used to study very late. I was very studious and I used to study every night late I went to bed about one I was in the early hours of I mean, early hours early stage of sleep and I woke up completely woke up and I could feel this warm moderate current going through my whole body it was a, actually a beautiful feeling but I thought how bizarre what's that and I went to move and I couldn't move my body. I was paralyzed. And then my mind started freaking out because I realized I was actually trapped. So I was totally awake and I wanted to get up and I just couldn't move any part of my body. At the same time, I felt that there was another part of myself in the, in the different part of the room. So I felt like I was in two places at once, in the body and then separate to the body. And the part of me that was separate to the body was kind of above the doorway up towards the ceiling. And from there, I could actually see from a different perspective. So I could see down at the carpet. The carpet was very colourful and there was light streaming from the bathroom because my mum was in there getting ready for bed, brushing her teeth. And I could see all the lights on the carpet. So I actually could see from up there. And that part of me, well, I just felt wonderful. I felt, 
I felt light, I felt free, I felt at peace. So two very different experiences, one where I felt calm and wonderful and in my body I was freaking out. Mm. And then I felt this airborne part of me actually come down to the body and rejoin it. And then when I rejoined that current, that feeling of um, electricity that I had through the body um, actually stopped and then I could slowly move again. And um, I called out to my mum because I was freaking out. And I just said, Mum. And then she came out of the bathroom and said, Oh, good night. Have a good night's sleep. And that was it. I just kind of rolled over and I, I said a few um, Our Fathers <laughs> underneath the sheet. But I was like amazed by it. So one part of me was like, Oh my God. And the other part was like, I just feel like that was my spirit. Like I, that, I felt like that was my soul up there. So. Wow. That again was another wake up. It's interesting know? because I know from having read your memoir that it's like an escalation of these experiences. So they start yes. quite subtly with the quiet yes. of your name and then this out-of-body experience, which is also on the, on the more subtle side compared to what we're going to go into. Yes. Very <laughs> profound and mind-blowing experiences that you went through. Yes. Soon after this, or in the years following this, you struggled mm. with quite a bit of anxiety, which mm. you had a, a sort of a taste of, Linda, during the bullying and all of that. And even as, as yes. a smaller child, you said that you were prone to that. But, but in uni, you excelled in your studies. You, you won a scholarship to study politics at the University of North Carolina. And then you were, you were accepted into an internship to study human rights at um, the Australian National University and mm -hmm. in the parliament. So that's all amazing. So the accolades were rolling in, but you mm -hmm. still, you didn't feel at, quite at home. There were challenges. What, what did you mm -hmm. make of this? And where did mm -hmm. spirituality come into this, this part of your life? Well, I think anxiety, and I think a lot of people have it, you know, you're born with it. I really do think you inherit it in your DNA. And even today with all the experiences I've had and I've come such a far away, I still have these moments of anxiety still come over um, me, but I can deal with it better now. Back then I didn't know how to deal with it um, and I felt overwhelmed by it. So I think firstly, I'd, I'd inherited it through my parents, my father in particular, um, with his trauma, and then going through my own personal issues with my body. Yeah, at university, I felt, I felt like I, I could almost control my life through my study. So if my study, it's a bit like people who get, you know, they always have to have a neat house or, you know, they're trying to control those parts of their lives that they that actually feel chaotic by controlling something and for me my studies were that so if I had that under control something was you know something I had something to hold on to and so that's why study became such focus and I, and I excelled at it also my mum was a very high achiever and she had a brilliant career and um, she was my role model. So I wanted to emulate that kind of thing. By university as well, I really had this, oh, this anger in me. I felt angry that life had been such a challenge already. And I felt angry. I think I loved God, but I felt angry at God too. How can God make me suffer? How can God let my people suffer? 
how can God make humanity suffer? These are the things I was kind of, you know, part of the me, you know, wanting to work in human rights and politics was I was trying to sort this energy out that yeah. I was born into. And um, so I felt anxious. How am I going to solve this big problem in the world that pe where people don't treat each other well, yeah. um, where there's all this dysfunction, where there's injustices? You know, I couldn't, I couldn't stand that. That, that people didn't um, have the same equalities around the world. Everything affected me. Yeah. I didn't know how to block that out yet or work with it in a way. So I, so I just felt overwhelmed when I was in with uni. And plus I was studying politics, you see, and yeah. you're really delving into these deeper issues, these disparities between people around the world, depending on where they're born and what colour their skin is and, all kind, and what gender they're born into. I was kind of dealing with all that in my own in my own mind. And what about your um, your OBE? And you've just described your first out of body experience. Yeah, you went on to have more. How did yes. you, what knowledge did you glean, or or what solace did you take, if any, from these mm. out of body experiences? How did they help you to reconcile those big questions and yes. the disparity and injustice that you were seeing? Wow, we are so much more than the physical. We have so much potential, you know, we are eternal, you know, we just, just made me realise there's just so much more to life and too much, so much more to our reality than, than we may think. So there's just so much more possibility, yeah, it, you know, so, so many things are possible. It made me kind of look past limitation like thinking that oh yeah this is this is hard yeah that these things are true about hum humanity but you know what we are these amazing spiritual beings so we have got the power to go past that we can do more we can you know i just yeah, I, yeah. there was more to me and so, i wanted to understand that better Right. So was that kind of an answer to this wrestling that you were having, these questions that you were trying to unravel? Did that come as, did that land in you as a sort of answer? Well, you know, that didn't really come to me until I had the real big experiences. When I was at uni, I just, it was like I was just starting to become aware of what I was feeling because I wasn't even aware really of what I was feeling and all the dysfunction I was feeling until I was at uni. And I guess around that 19, you're starting to see it. You're starting to recognise it, which is part of the rising, I guess, where you, you know, you go from, from darkness or actually not being aware and then you start getting an awareness of what your triggers are or, you know, what your suffering is or whatever. And then once you have that awareness, then you can start making changes. So yeah. I was kind of just at the becoming aware stage then. So the out-of-body experiences were kind of a precursor, a little hint of what was to come. A hint, just yeah. a hint. It was just a hint. Yeah. And it's yeah. true what you say, Linda. I mean, when I think back to when I was 19, you know, first year of university, I've yeah, I was just so unconscious, really. You don't yes. you think you're at the mercy of your thoughts and the things that happen and it's so easy to get entrenched and lost in, in fear and 
you know, pain. Absolutely. And, yeah. So I really, really. But also, I'd only had I'd only had one out of body experience by um, that time. Oh. I okay. went on to had I went on to have numerous, but it was after then. Ah, so well. That, by that stage, I'd only had that one. You right. See. Right. Yeah. It was the appetizer. Well. Yeah. About <laughs> the amazing main course at the at twenty one when you had this absolutely astounding first encounter with the higher power you tell mm -hmm. us about it you describe it so vividly and beautifully in your book please yes. share with us linda this transformative moment and and how it affected you wow this is this is so big yeah. for me personally it was a real um it was a real turning point in my life so it happened one night. Um, I was living by myself. I was living in my sister's house. She was then living in Sydney. I was in Perth. Um, I was living alone and I was woken from my sleep by somebody sitting at the end of my bed. Now, when I first realised there was somebody sitting there, I thought to myself, I must be dreaming. I kind of held my breath because I wasn't quite sure. And... I actually, I actually woke up from sleep because I felt somebody pull my sheet down. And so I held my breath and I thought, am I just imagining that? And then, like, in response to my thought, I felt the sheet come down more. So somebody pulled at it again. And the whole time I could feel somebody sitting. I could feel somebody sitting at the end of my bed. The whole bed was weighed down. Now, by this second sheet pull... I almost had a heart attack and died. <laughs> I was just, my heart was thumping. And all I could hear in my ears was my heart going, boom, 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 boom. And I was thinking frantically, what am I going to do? I thought, if I scream, will somebody hear me? Because I was living in a little kind of villa and there were other villas close by. Or should I just run for it? What am I going to do? While I'm thinking this, I'm still not moving. I'm too scared to. The sheet gets pulled again. And I just thought, oh, my God, whoever is there knows that they're trying to get me to wake up. I was wide awake. So anyway, I just got my courage together and I sat bolt upright in the bed. And I just thought I'm going to have to confront whoever is there. And I looked right at the end of my bed and though it was night, you know, a bit of light was coming through the blinds. So mm. I could still see what was in the room. And there was no one sitting at the end of my bed. Nobody that I could see, but I could still feel somebody sitting on the end of my bed. And just as my mind's trying to work this out, all of a sudden I noticed this extraordinary light above the end of my bed, just hovering there up in the air. It was probably about um, a metre and a half across. At the centre was a black round void. And then coming out from that, that black circle were these just brilliant arcs of light. It was just breathtaking. I can't tell you how beautiful this light was. And all these arcs together formed one perfect circle but there was light life to this light it actually was alive it was a being of light and it pulsated 
it stood still in the air, but it moved in a clockwise direction and it throbbed, it pulsated. And every time it pulsated, I felt just the most extraordinary magnetism coming out of it, like this energy, this power. And it entered me through my heart. And it was just so powerful. And it was like a heartbeat every time, boom, 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 boom. This magnetism, it kind of like pulled me towards it and then it would actually enter me. And it was just so incredible. I cannot put into words the feeling of bliss, of love. But I mean, just pure love and joy and it rose when it once it entered my heart it began to rise the energy began to rise up my neck and by the time it hit my head I couldn't stop crying so it was like it was out of my control the tears were just pouring out it's like I had no control over it because the the power was just so potent and by the time it reached the top of my head it was like my, my, it was like my mind exploded. It was just out of this world. It was almost like so much, it was too much bliss to bear. It was just incredible. It was, it was like my body it was too, it just, it just couldn't hold, hold this energy. And then my mind exploded and I entered this other realm and it was heaven. <laughs> whatever you want to call heaven, but it was heaven. And by the way, I've got to tell you, I didn't mention this, that when I saw that light, I knew it was God. And it wasn't that I thought about what is that light. I just knew it was God, the energy of God. And anyway, I entered this heavenly state and it was all just white light. And it was, um, it was just so peaceful and powerful there if you like i can i can i can read a little bit from, from the book if you like yeah. would you like that yes i'd love that please do because as i said because you, then yeah you render it so beautifully yep all right so the light was alive and aware it was without form gender age race or creed it was perfect unconditional love and it longed to be united with me as much as I longed to be united with it. It possessed an extraordinary, unforgettable magnetism that entered me through my heart. And then it talks about the tears coming out. It was the ultimate celestial orgasm. <laughs> I love that. Yeah. And I felt like a cup overflowing with plenty. The pulse of God moving through me brought such intense pleasure that I felt I might burst like the ripest berry in the sun. I almost couldn't stand to feel such rapture. And then it was as if my mind exploded. I burst out of the confines of my thoughts and into the highest stratosphere of consciousness. Everything here was bright white light. There was nothing other than the light of God. I had entered the ultimate heaven. I even became the ultimate heaven. I was spiritual completion. I was perfect love. God and I were one. There, was, there were no reflections, no point of reference. There was no thought. Thought could not and did not exist in this no space. 
God simply was, God simply is, I was not. God was, I am, without the I, God was, am. There was no here, no there, no Linda, no other. Light and silence existed in no place and in no time. And everything that ever was, is, will and could be was of the light and the silence. The silence was perfect tranquility, yet it hummed with extreme power. In the complete stillness, God was perpetually in motion. God was stillness and motion at the same time in no time. There was, this was the ultimate power reality. There was no higher power, no vaster reality, any greater wisdom and no greater, greater potential. Almost at the end of this paragraph, nothing greater existed anywhere and nowhere. It was the end point and the beginning point. I could have stayed like this forever, never wanting for anything. I was completely fulfilled and at peace. So that was my first God experience. Linda, thank you so much for reading that. That's um, an excerpt from your 2016 memoir, Where the Light Lives, and you just have a treat by reading that out. Thank you so much. But what an amazing experience. I, when I read about it in your book, I thought, and I've read a lot of spiritual literature, spiritual memoirs, and I've never read an experience that is so vivid in that sense that is not a near-death experience. It's got so many yes. parallels with the NDE. But it has. And you were wide to think that you were sitting bolt upright in your bed, eyes wide open, seeing this in front of you is just, I can't wrap my head around it. It's amazing. Well, it took me years to wrap my head around it, Karina. And it really was amazing. And when I wrote the book, I so wanted to get, get it across to people, this experience, because um, I, I just, I just didn't want to keep it all to myself. You know, this is in everyone. This is everyone's potential. This is everyone's nature. This is what we are. You know, that's, that is what our spirit is. We are power, spiritual power. We are love, you know, that we've got so much potential. Yes, I just can't imagine how you then got up and just functioned as a 21-year-old the next day. But uh, before we get to the next day, though, when, when your awareness returned to your body in your bed yes. following this experience, you weren't by yourself in the bed, Linda. I was not. <laughs> <laughs> I had a hunky man next to me. <laughs> Actually, he wasn't that hunky, but <laughs> he was a man. Um, well, I... I must have been lying down at this stage because when I looked to the right of myself, I could see through a ghost that was lying next to me and I could see the wardrobes through him. And this is the bizarre thing. It was like I was seeing him from different angles all at once. So I must have been seeing him with spiritual eyes. So I could see, see him in this direction, but then I could see him from looking down as well. And I could see what he looked like and he looked, Completely emaciated, ama what's the word? He looked very thin. That's yeah. it. <laughs> he looked very, very thin. I could see his ribs were protruding and um, he was long and lean and, and he had a beard and, and messy, wavy hair. 
But the thing that was really striking were his eyes. They were bright red. His eyes were red. So the rest of him was like a transparent grey colour, um, but his eyes were red. And I didn't feel any evil from him. What I felt was that he was deeply depressed and I felt that he was a lost soul. You know, what you hear people describe lost soul, but I didn't know to describe, um, describe it as that then because these are all new experiences to me. And I felt that God was showing me that though he was not ready to accept God, God was there waiting for him and God was going to help him transition when he was ready to do so. So I just felt like he was, though he was lost and felt alone, he wasn't. God was with him. But I also felt that, and this is interesting because pretty much up to this stage in my life, whenever I felt really down and there were, I wasn't always down, it would come in waves. Sometimes I felt fine, but sometimes I felt really depressed. And when I felt really depressed, I used to just not want to be here. I just didn't want to be in this world. And I would kind of fantasize about dying and suicide. I never actually put that into action, but I have two cousins that did put it into action. So you can see that that energy was there in my family. So I felt like I was being shown as well. And I think this is important for people listening that whatever you feel in life, if you don't deal with it, suicide's not the answer. You will take it with you to the other side. So if you haven't dealt with it here, you will have to deal with it on the other side. You, are still, you still take the same things with you into the afterlife. Um, so it's better to, to see life as the gift that it is and get the help that you need here you know to work through whatever it is that your depression is about but anyway I felt like he had carried that through with him but something I don't write in the book Karina is that I've often wondered and it's been with me since that time if that was my grandfather I was thinking the one that had been yeah mm, go on the one that had been executed I'd, I've always had that feeling that I know that now he's he's actually moved on to a really good space because I've actually communicated with him. Mm. Um, but maybe I was seeing the pain of my family right there in that spirit because my grandfather's execution, and it wasn't just my grandfather, it was my, my, my father was one of seven and his eldest brother was also executed and it was the brother that he felt the closest to. He had another brother that was shot but pretended he was dead and he actually survived. But that trauma, my father and, and his brothers and sisters, it was always a, a terrible grief in our family what happened to these people and, and especially to my grandfather. And my father was too young to remember what his father looked like. And during the war... His house was burnt down three times and everything was lost. All the photos were lost and he would have given anything to have a photo of his father to see his face. And that was a great grief in his life. 
So I kind of always felt that this, I was seeing the pain that my grandfather felt after dying. So profound, Linda. <laughs> able to see the actual personification yeah. in the spirit form of your grandfather. Yeah. Personification of the pain that you've carried as well. And I still feel it, but I've, I've dealt with, with it, the energy, but I still feel the pain that they went through and so many people go through in the world. But I think now looking back on it, I can see that I was about to deal with that pain. So I was being shown the pain in this, in this spirit and then what was to follow my many other experiences that I had following that was about, was it releasing me from that? Mm. But also I think from being released from that, that spirit was able to move on okay. to a better place. And just briefly for the, any listeners who are wondering, what were the circumstances of your grandfather's execution? Why was he executed? Mm-hmm. My grandfather was a glavar, which is something like um, a mayor, um. so a village leader. He was a villager and had lots of land and produced lots of, um, you know, almonds and cherries and figs and, and meat and wine. And so he had seven children and my grandmother was uh, a midwife, actually. She delivered lots of babies through the area, but they worked on their land and very generous people. So my um, dad's side were not involved in the actual fighting so this is the former of what became Yugoslavia and during World War II there were there was civil war and there were all these different groups you know fighting against each other for power they saw my grandfather as a threat because he he was a leader in his area and they wanted to get rid of him and also back then they um, the enemy militia went around and murdered anyone over the age of 15 just, so they got rid of that's men men yeah. that is um, because they could become potential fighters and the thing is like my eldest son he's only 14 but he's six foot two you see mm. so he looks like a man yeah. so I can imagine um, the young men on my in my family really look they were like big big guys you know they didn't look like children they looked like men so they were a threat yeah. And so they just went around from village to village, just killing all the, all the men, not the um, women and children. Devastating, Linda. Yeah. Um, so back to that encounter with what you now believe was the spirit of your grandfather teaching yeah. you some things that really yeah. wouldn't, wouldn't fall into place for a few years at least. But was that your first encounter with a spirit person? Yes, that okay. was my first encounter. In fact... I didn't have any kind of spiritual experiences before 16, though I, um, I thought about God a lot because I went to church. But it wasn't until after 16 that I started having seen things. Okay. So tell us, how, what did you make of this experience with this all-loving light and then what immediately followed seeing the spirit man? How did this affect you? How did it transform you? Oh, well, the next day I was like, whoo. When I woke up the next day, I just could remember everything in detail and I felt so um, uplifted by it. But I also couldn't understand why God 
had come to me? Why had God shown itself to me? I really wanted to understand why I had had that experience. I mean, why me? I mean, I was so filled with flaws. You know, you grow up in the Catholic Church believing only saints have these kinds of experiences. I mean, I was anything but a saint. So I just couldn't understand that all. I felt ecstatic just knowing that God was real because as much as I'd believed in God, it's different experiencing God. You know, when, you, when you're believing in God, there's always a part of you that still doubts, doubts in the background. But once you experience God, um, you know that was God. So it, was, it really was, um, that was the real big change, was just knowing that God and the spiritual were for real for me. It just really was real. It wasn't a fantasy. I felt like I had to speak to somebody about it straight away. So I went to um, an ashram in Mount Lawley near my house, looking, um, seeking out some monks because I thought the Buddhists would be more open to it. They w- weren't there. They were in Southeast Asia, so I couldn't speak to them. So then I thought, oh, my God, I'm just going to have to be brave and go to the Catholics. <laughs> and so <laughs> I drove to the main city cathedral, St Mary's, and I went into um, this administrative building and asked to speak to a priest. And the, the secretary took me through to a very lovely, neat room where I waited for a priest to come and speak to me. And within five minutes, he was there and he asked me why I'd come to speak to him. And I told him, I said, Father, last night, God came to visit me. And, and then I described to him how God appeared to me and what I felt about the whole thing and told him about the, the spirit in my bed with red eyes. And I was a bit reluctant to because I thought he would kind of think it was an evil sign and I just didn't think it was at all. Anyway, he kind of paused he didn't show any emotion when I was telling him. He was, he was polite, but he didn't show any emotion. And then he paused and he said to me, the Catholic Church is only interested in visions of the Blessed Mother, Jesus Christ, and incidences of the stigmata. Hmm. Full stop. That was it. And I was like, okay. You were dismissed. And then, he, and then he put his hand out over my head touched the top of my head and said some prayer and that was it and I was like okay and um, I left I thanked him and left and I just thought good god you know I just had the most profound experience of of my life and I've just gone to seek counsel from my elder my, my elder of my faith and that's the best you can do I thought, sorry, see you later. Um, Up to that stage anyway, I was questioning all kinds of things within the church. And I just thought, you know what, it's not for me anymore. It doesn't mean that I don't respect the tradition I come from. And it's not to say that other people don't get inspiration from church. But I just thought, you know what, I don't need that anymore. I've experienced God and I'm going to go and explore that on my own terms in my own way and so it kind of released released me in a mm, way that's fascinating and ironically you did go on later to have an experience <laughs> of the blessed mother I know. That, <laughs> yeah, priest was sadly so closed-minded that yeah. you know, well you know he was also <laughs> he was also kind of trapped in his age 
he was probably in his 70s or something. There's no reason to be, I guess, angry at that. It's just no. he was a product of his time. Totally. I was of a different time. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's, um, that's quite a great scene. You tell it very well. So, so how, how did this experience help you to come to terms with that those challenges that you were having at around this time, you know, between like trying to reconcile the contrast between the dysfunctions, this is what you write in your book, the contrast mm. between the dysfunctions of humanity and God's mm. love, that contrast was extreme is what you tell us. It and was you extreme. didn't know how to deal with it. No. And you were yearning for this home, this light. Oh my God, so yeah. much. Once I experienced it. And then I went within that next year, I went on and had two more experiences where I went home. In, you know, I travelled through a tunnel. This is in spirit, at great speed towards you know incredible light, God light. And I had I had um, another two Godhead experiences or heaven experiences where I was in that that magnetism, that bliss again. So in one year I had three of those experiences, but the first one was the the wow one, <laughs> the one that really knocked my socks off. But I basically didn't leave my home very much for about a year. I couldn't deal. I was. I became ultra sensitive to everything. Um, noise, bad news. I couldn't deal with the television being on. I couldn't stand hearing about people suffering and 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 the world in disarray. I had turned the radio off. I had to have as much peace in my day as possible. I just felt overwhelmed by by too much activity even, too much happening. So I think I was still at uni then and I, I went to my classes and did what I had to do. But if I could limit it, I just limited how much I went out into the world. And that lasted for about a year until I had my next huge experience. And the next experience is actually what changed everything in the sense that made me um, made me want to be here in this world. Yeah. So before that, I wanted to go back home, you know, because, you know, when you experience that bliss, you want more of it. Yes, and I've read about that, as I said, like, but mainly in the NDEs. Uh, There are some uh, spiritually transformative experiences that have the overtones and share the traits of the NDE, but nothing as powerful as yours. And now the experience that you're about to share when you were 22 that um, was the next big one involved a life review, which again, we associate with the NDA, a life review, but also a life preview. Is that right, Linda? Yes, yes. Oh my goodness, this one's such a big one. <laughs> I hope I don't leave anything out. So I, I perceive this as an out-of-body experience. So I woke up out-of-body in a heavenly realm. I was completely, when I talk about these states, you, you're just completely awake. It's no, you know, you know that you're not dreaming. It's not even, it's nothing like a dream. You feel completely aware, completely conscious and, and completely like yourself, not, not in an abstract way. You know, it actually really feels like you're living it. And I really believe that I, that I was. So I was out of body and it was nighttime and I was at a house and the front door was wide open and I just knew to go inside so I went inside and I was in a hallway and there I noticed three framed pictures up on the wall and I was drawn to these pictures immediately and I went up to the first one and I looked at it 
And um, I was amazed by two things. First of all, the quality of the actual picture. So the picture was of me. <laughs> that was the second amazing thing. It was of me, but it wasn't Linda. I was looking at another woman I had been or I was. So I was looking at this picture and it was as if it was made of light and it had a three-dimensional quality to it so that it actually looked like a real person in there. It was like looking through a window in a wall into a real scene at a real woman but in picture form, very, very bizarre, magical, really magical. But also I had this quality to it where I felt like the picture was communicating to me. So it was responsive to me. So I knew from looking at this picture that this woman was me, but not Linda me. <laughs> and then I was drawn to the next picture, frame picture, and the same thing again. I saw another woman that I was not Linda but another woman from another time and the same thing happened with the third picture the amazing thing is that all these women were plump and in this lifetime short and plump at that I was tall and very thin and I, I just loathed my body I loathed it and I was amazed to see that I had been three different women in three different lifetimes who had been short and plump. And I was kind of marvelling at this. And in that moment, I kind of ga gained this perspective. It was like these pictures were, were talking to me that in each of these lifetimes, I'd actually longed to be taller. I'd longed to be thinner. And the accumulation of this longing and these thoughts with feeling had created my current form. So I learned in that moment that I had actually created this body of mine that I loathed so much and there was nobody else responsible for it but me. It was like mind-blowing. And when I got to the third picture and I was again marvelling at the fact that I'd been plump, <laughs> I heard this laughter rolling through the, you know, hallway to the right. And I looked towards that laughter and there was a woman coming towards me. And she was a plumpish woman and she was overjoyed to see me. And I looked at her and, I, and she said to me, yes, you have been. So yes, you have been plump. And I thought, she's reading my thoughts because she didn't move her lips and she's communicating. I can hear her talking to me, but it was all happening telepathically. So that was another wow thing. Oh, Sorry. I was going to ask because I'm fascinated by your three past or simultaneous yeah. lifetimes that you were able to get a, a little glimpse of in that moment. Mm -hmm. Do you have a sense of uh, who those women were and what eras they were from? Don't. They were all they were all white-skinned women in this one, and I've had other lifetimes where I've been all kinds of races, but in this one, I was pale-skinned, and in one, it was that kind of you know the skirt really going down to the ankles and covering everything up, and the blouse up to the neck, and the hair pulled up on the so 
you yeah. know, 100 years ago maybe. Yeah, Edwardian or something. Yeah. Edwardian. Yeah. That's all I really remember now from, from their appearance. Oh, so um, there were three from around that time. Well, I'm not sure, actually. I just remember the one being yes. dressed like that. Ah, okay. I can't re- yeah, I can't remember what the other two were dressed as. Yeah. That's, that's it, really. Okay. So I've got the feeling they were from three different times. Anyway, this lady, this lady, this plump lady is literally there next to me, reading my thoughts and speaking to me telepathically. And I look at her and all of a sudden, it was like this veil of forgetfulness just kind of got removed. And I actually recognised her. And I recognised her as my very, very dear friend from forever. It was like she was my life, many lifetimes friend. And we were just so over, um, overjoyed to see each other again. And we embraced and just the love and the joy was just, just moving through us, literally. And it was then that I had another amazing experience. I actually um, saw that we, that we actually moved into each other. We actually, we were spirits and we had actually gone into each other. And I could see that we were made of light. We were made of white substance, like a warm substance. Then she directed me into what was like a lounge room adjacent to the hallway. And we sat down opposite one another in armchairs and she had something like a clipboard in her hand that she was reading from. And she started saying to me, these are all the kind of negative emotions you've felt in your lifetime. And she started listing all these things like anger and, and this and that and grief. And she went through this long list and then she just looked at me and she said, how do you feel about your relationship with your parents? And in that moment, there was a pause. And in that pause, it was like my perspective just grew to in just enormous proportions. It was like I could see everything that had ever transpired between me and my parents from my perspective, their perspective, and every single person's perspective that had ever had any thought about my relationship with my parents. My and I know it's so hard to put into words because it was so huge. It was like holding, and I say this in the book, it's like holding the contents of the, of the ocean in a teacup. I was just overloaded with all this information in an instant. And from that, I just gained great perspective. I could see that our relationship actually for all its kind of dysfunctions and difficulties we'd had and so many parents have with their children was actually really perfect. It was perfect to our, our spiritual plan, our, for our spiritual growth. We had actually planned to be in each, each other's lives and we planned on a spiritual plane on the spiritual plane I could see all that I could see that you know everything that had happened and everything that would happen was perfect as it was and it just it was really it was mind-boggling <laughs> it was amazing and so I also gained this it was like I also gained this ability it's like a godly ability to self-assess 
it was like, you know, so often in religion, you, you're kind of raised to believe God's going to judge you and, and watch out for God's wrath and all this. But my experience of it was that it was you, it's you, your higher self. So the aspect of you, which is purely spiritual, assesses what has happened in your life. And it doesn't come from a, you know, like a, uh, a wrathful kind of judgmental um, perspective. It's just that you want to make a clear assessment. You want to see, you want to, you want to make, a, make a very clear assessment of what has happened because you want to learn from it. So that was the experience of it. And then my friend said to me, she said, do you want to stay with me here in heaven? And up to that stage, I, like I said before, I'd gone in and out of actually wanting to go back to my spiritual home and not be on earth. And she was saying to me, do you want to stay? Because if you want to stay here with me, you can. And I was amazed by this. I was seriously amazed. I was like, what? It's my choice to stay here or not? And then I had this great longing in me arise. I wanted to stay with her. I wanted to stay in this magical place. I wanted to stay with my magical friend. And then again, there was that pause. And in that pause, just this, I just gained this enormous, enormous perspective and this enormous clarity. And it was like I say, I say in the book, it was like I was granted gold ticket seats to, you know, in the cinema of my potentiality. It was like this um, incredible hologram kind of presented itself in front of me, larger than life. And I knew that I had to pay, you know, really focused attention on what was about to happen. And there was this light show, but it was just huge. It was bigger, it was just took up my whole view. And I saw my future in incredible detail. And it just moved so rapidly. I've had a few of these kind of experiences before, I mean, after this, sorry, where I have these kind of light shows and they just happen so quickly. There's a real, there's a real um, speed to them and, and a power to them. And so I, I took all that in. And then once I had seen that, I just so wanted to return to my earthly life. I just had gained complete clarity I understood that I really had a spiritual purpose for being here and not only that but everyone does and I really understood that everyone's here with this incredible spiritual purpose we're all on a mission and um, and we are all so important to each other and we're so important to each other's missions we actually are so interconnected it's incredible and I gained from it that the universe is something like a master symphony. Though it looks chaotic and it feels chaotic and our lives often feel chaotic, it really is not. Um, there's this great plan to it and we've all got our part to play in it. And so I really couldn't wait to get back and just get on with things. And um, so anyway, I returned to my friend. My attention was back on my friend. And she looked at her watch, of all things, looks at her watch and she goes, oh, it's four o'clock. Well, um, what you say? she said, it's four o'clock. I must go. We've got so many souls arriving now. And I thought to myself, what a strange thing to 
say. And as I was thinking that, I then looked at her again because as I was thinking about what she had said to me, I wasn't looking at her. And then when I looked back at her, she was gone. She had disappeared. Anyway, then I noticed that there was a door, a sliding door close to me. And so I got up and I went and I slid it open and I went outside into a courtyard area and there were, it was still nighttime and there was a group of people sitting around a man and the man was speaking and they looked engrossed. So I wanted to know what they were listening to and I went and sat down next to a, a, a woman, a young woman, to listen to what the man was saying and he said something that made her laugh. And so she laughed loudly <laughs> and I thought, geez, what a... What a, it shocked me actually and I thought she sounds like a hyena and uh, I had that thought and then I looked at her again and then like her mouth opened up even more like a hyena and I had this strange thought come over me that my thoughts were creating effects and then I felt myself I had the sensation of falling descending and I consciously rejoined my body and then I got up turned my light on and wrote down my experience. Oh. It was it was amazing. And here's the really exciting bit. <laughs> when I got up out of bed, I looked at my clock, my alarm clock, and it was exactly four o'clock. Oh my gosh. Well exactly that, four o'clock. What an experience. Lynn. So that was my experience and it was mind blowing. Well, definitely. <laughs> so just it a was. few questions about it. So yes. the, the spirit woman that you recognized as your friend. Yes. You recognized her as your friend on earth, your longtime friend on earth, is that right? No. I recognized oh. her as my long longtime friend on in the spirit. Oh, wow. Yeah. For someone who's been with you through various incarnations. Yeah. Yeah. Amazing. I felt like she'd been with me forever. Forever. And what about the man that was teaching? Did you get any sense of who he was and what he's teaching? No. No. Okay. Not at all. Don't know what was going on there. (laughs) But but the interesting thing is they were learning from him. They were learning. So even in heaven, you are learning. Yeah. They are learning. He was their teacher. And that understanding that you had in that moment was a learning of yours. So the understanding of the thoughts creating the experience as well. I I get the sense of that. And the vision of your future that you saw roll Mm -hmm. by very swiftly and powerfully, has Mm -hmm. that played out? Well, Karina, I can't remember what I saw anymore in that. It was like, funny thing is with these experiences I just remember everything in so much detail but when it comes to recalling my future I cannot remember it and um, I remember the feeling of it I remember being there and seeing it but I cannot remember the details of it and it's something that actually was was very difficult for me for a few years because I kept thinking what is it that I saw what is it that I saw what is what did I want to come back so much for And I actually ended up visiting quite a few psychics afterwards, trying to work that out, during which time I actually met the lady who took me through the life review um, and preview. I met her off the flesh and down here on earth, and she actually became my teacher, my master teacher. And that was, so yeah, you described that in the book, meeting a sequence of three Claire's because each each teacher had the name Claire. And it was this third one, I believe, Linda, that you recognised as the late, this spirit woman in your experience. Absolutely. 100%. 100%. 
I know it was her. I think that her, um, her spirit is just so powerful. I think she operates on numerous levels. She operates in the physical and like all of us really, but she probably is aware of it, operates in, in the spiritual realm as well. Mm. But yes, yeah, she became my teacher. And it's interesting because it was from me wanting to try and remember what I'd seen in that preview that actually led me to find her. Uh-huh, uh-huh. And it was just a few, it was just a few months later. I love what you say and you write about this, about the effects of the experience. And it made me kind of wish that we could bottle it. It was so good. You wrote in your book, all the psychiatrists in the world couldn't have formulated a more effective and far reaching remedy. So what was this? Absolutely. How were you cured? What were you cured of? Suicidal tendencies, basically that had been with me for years, cured me of depression. I have I've never felt that depression that I felt um, growing, you know, my teen years since. That's not to say I don't have, I definitely still have up and ups and downs and I have times in my life, um, you know, where I've got my own challenges, but nothing like what I experienced in my teen years. And it really, it just, it just overnight cured those two things. I no longer um, wanted to leave, leave here. I wanted to be here and I wanted to be here purposely and I wanted to be here consciously and I really wanted to get on with living. I wanted to do something with my life. Karina here. This is where we're going to leave Linda's story for this episode. Make sure you join us for part two when Linda shares the up and down journey of integrating the extraordinary experience of merging with the light and the gifts of divinely inspired creativity that she drew from this beautiful light. She also tells us about a profound experience of meeting the Blessed Mother. This is such an incredibly lovely and powerful moment you will not want to miss. And there's so much more as well. Be sure to tune in next time. Thank you for listening to Spirit Sisters, the podcast, based on my best-selling book of the same name. I really hope you enjoyed this episode and will join me again next time for another intriguing conversation exploring mysteries and marvels. In the meantime, please subscribe so that you won't miss an episode. I also welcome your feedback, so please message me through my website, karinamachado.com, or find me on Facebook at Karina Machado Author. Perhaps you have your own encounter to share. If so, I'd love to hear it. After all, there's nothing more powerful than a story. Thank you.